This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Honk if you like words. That was one of the signs on the picket line outside Paramount Studios in Hollywood last week. 11,500 members of the Writers Guild are on strike. Picketing studios in Los Angeles and New York, one of them is Josh Gondelman. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV writer and a comedian. He recently worked as head writer and executive producer for Desus and Mero on Showtime, where the guests included Bernie Sanders and Barack Obama. He also uh, contributed to the final season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And before that, he spent five years at Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, where he won four Emmys, two Peabody Awards, and three WGA Awards. And he's a regular on the NPR News quiz show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which has a weekly audience of 6 million people. We reached him today in New York City. Josh Gondelman, welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for the um, the thorough introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I understand you were on the picket line today. Was that outside NBC at 30 Rock in Midtown Manhattan? Today it was I was at Silver Cup Studios in Queens where they were sh- uh, the plan was to shoot American Horror Story. I got there in the kind of second wave of picketers, but they showed up starting at 5 a.m. and they saw a lot of solidarity from Teamsters and lighting riggers who who didn't cross the picket line and and shut down production while we were there on on a lot of elements of the show, which was really inspiring to see that level of union solidarity across these other unions. Well, in your piece on the strike for the nation, you describe yourself as someone who hates conflict, but loves fairness. Uh, How did this uh, lead you to the picket line this week? I I do. I hate conflict, but I love fairness. And the fairness, my love of fairness is winning out because all that we're asking for as writers is a a fair chance at making a sustainable living in the industry that that we were working in. Um, You know, the, the asks basically amount to 2% 2% of these studios operating profits per year. And uh, we're ju- it's just enough to, so that people it, it, with shorter seasons and mini rooms, right, with people working um, at l- maybe lower than their established rates for these, these weeks before uh, a show is even greenlit. And also the way that residuals have changed as more and more shows move to streaming, right? And reuse and re-airing becomes kind of a different idea now that something can go on, say Netflix, and then be there for a year. And that is one reuse, essentially. You know, there's a w- one fee and, and that doesn't account for success based on ratings at all um, because that's all in a black box still, you know, as far as we know, like the Netflix's numbers. So, I'm out there for fairness, despite my natural conflict-driven anxiety. And my dad texted me uh, yesterday when he read my piece for The Nation, and he said, well, what kind of look is it if I, if I, someone on the union leadership, right? I'm on the Writers Guild of America East Council. He said, what is, what's the look if someone on the council says that they, they were anxious to join a picket line? And I said, Dad, I'm a comedy writer. If I wasn't anxious about something, people would think there's something wrong. <laughs> 98% of the writers voted in favor of the strike, yeah. really unprecedented. Yeah. And the conditions that caused this strike have been percolating mm-hmm. for years. I guess the biggest change, as you've said, is the rise of streaming and, and mm-hmm. the new companies that do it. The last writer strike 
was in 2007. At that point, Amazon and Apple were not making movies, mm -hmm. and Netflix was a mail-order DVD business, and yeah. you were about 10 years old in 2007. <laughs> yeah, let's say I was 10 years old in 2007. <laughs> let's, let's, um, let's keep my youthful appearances for when, when I'm able to work in entertainment again, when we're off the picket line. But yeah, it's a, it's a different world. Things have really changed in terms of how entertainment is distributed, right? Film and television, it's very different. Different. It's um, it, it it's it's changed everything about how people are paid and how what a season of television is, and we're not trying to fight against the way people are distributing TV. We're just asking for while we're doing the same work, we're asking for fair pay the same the same pay we're asking for if they're going to make but if we're going to make 10 episodes of a season of, of television and and that's going to be a writer's work for half a year a year right and and writers are going to be employed for shorter terms we're just asking for those jobs to not disappear for writers to not become uh, a gig economy type profession we, we want it to be a sustainable career in 2007 the use of written material through new media channels what was a big deal but that was we're talking about clips posted on youtube and now it's the location for where people watch so much entertainment and and so i think that is it is just the the whole landscape has changed and we're just trying to account for that and and keep writing a sustainable profession you say the studios are trying to turn writing into a gig economy profession mm -hmm. the la times last week had a response from a studio spokesman he pointed out that Gig workers do not have a health plan, and they are also given tasks by an app. Your boss is not an app. Not yet. <laughs> that is a ridiculous point to make. Absolutely, they would. And people talk about AI as a potential generator for written material. I mean, AI could be a studio head, right? Like, there's no, there's no way that that it would be impossible. They just people make too much money off that. Like, twelve people in the industry. But uh, okay. to go back a step to the first point of there's no health fund, there's no pension fund for gig economy workers. The the way that the studios have proposed kind of dismantling the protections for term employment, right? Being able to be employed for a minimum of a certain number of weeks. And, and there's currently no minimum for comedy variety writers on streaming. So that really does exist. And now it's been proposed a, a day rate for comedy variety writers, um, which <laughs> means Essentially, yes, there is a health and pension fund, but if you don't make enough money to earn into it, then it doesn't apply to you. And that's what they're also doing with minimums, right? Their proposal for minimum salary for late night, which does not exist at this point. There is no minimum salary that they have to pay comedy variety writers on streaming services. And they propose, they conceded that they would go up to the minimum for broadcast shows, which sounded great. But then they said only if it has a budget of uh, $700,000 per episode. There are currently no comedy variety shows being made with a budget of $700,000 per episode. So basically they're saying, we'll give you the minimum if we spend more money than anyone has ever spent on these shows. <laughs> the traditional Hollywood studios, as opposed to the new streamers like Amazon and Apple and Netflix, the traditional studios say they are losing billions. Paramount last week announced it had a net loss of 1.1 billion in the first quarter this year. And after that announcement, Paramount stock fell 28%, even though the Paramount Plus streaming service now has more than 60 million subscribers. Disney is cutting $5.5 billion by laying off employees. Writers 
like you say they are having a tough time, but the CEOs of the old time studios are, are saying they are the ones having a, a, a tough time. And what do you know about the suffering of studio CEOs? <laughs> well, look, I uh, no disrespect to how stressful their job must be, but you'd think that the tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in compensation would take a little of the sting out of that <laughs> suffering, right? Eight studio heads combined, eight CEOs are making in a year, made in 2022, over $770 million, which is nearly twice what we are asking for total for all of our membership, right? That's what it would cost them is about $430 million per year, which still is only 2% of the operating profit for the studios, right? It sounds like a lot of money, but it's it's 2% of their profit. And it is about 60% of what they paid eight CEOs <laughs> period. And so that is just wild to me that they would, first of all, claim that they don't have money to pay writers. Clearly, they have money to pay someone. And to me, when CEO compensation hits $40 million, you know, executives are always saying like, well, if you don't want to do it, we'll find someone who'll do it for cheaper. You didn't think they couldn't offer these guys 20 million? Nobody would have taken 20 million to do that job. But I, I want to go back to your first point a little bit that they're saying they're losing money, right? They're They're all... Uh, crying poverty at this point, but they're all beholden to year over year, quarter over quarter growth for their shareholders, right? So it's not just enough that they're making, that they make money. They have to make more money than they've ever made every single year. And that is not uh, conducive to, first of all, creating good art, let's say. And even if you throw art out the window, it's not conducive to fair treatment of employees, right? It's not, it's not conducive to any kind of humane, compensation or 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 treatment and everybody every company says they're they're losing all all this money they're not profitable they're posting in 2021 these companies posted a total of about 28 billion dollars in operating profit they're not shifting to streaming because they think the technology is neat and they want a new gadget. <laughs> they're shifting into streaming and they're devouring each other, right? So there are only a few left because they think that's what will make them the most money in the long term. They're the ones spending this money. They're the ones choosing to produce all, all this entertainment. And all we're asking is a cut of, of the profits commensurate with the work we do and its importance to the industry. I understand that artificial intelligence is also an issue. Uh, you want the studios to agree that they will only work with human beings. I asked ChatGPT, write a joke about the writer's strike. Okay. Here's, here's what ChatGPT came back with. Why did the studios cross the picket line during the writer's strike? Answer, to get to the other screenplay. Okay. Are we laughing? I, I'm... I'm mostly just mortified by the concept, <laughs> but it is our stance as a guild that writing work is done by writers who are people. So what we came to the table with was the proposal that AI not be allowed to generate scripts and not be able to generate underlying intellectual property that then writers could be hired to rewrite into script form for less money than it would, you know, than they would make to generate original ideas. And the, the studios came back with uh, a proposal of, well, once a year, we'll talk about the state of the industry and what IP is not in the meantime, we'll agree to your rules. Just once a year, we'll update you on how thoroughly we've managed to uh, screw you through 
chat GPT and other AI devices and, and, and programs, you know? So I think it, it was incredibly offensive and it really jeopardizes writing as a profession. Seems to me though, the chat GPT joke is not going to jeopardize writing no, as a profession. No, I mean, it, fortunately, when you see the the output of these of these algorithmic apps, right, which are basically someone recently described them, and I wish I could credit who it was, but I think I heard it third hand as like a plagiarism jukebox because yes. it just pulls, it learns from other writing and it pulls from other writing. So it's not like there's this genius robot brain. It just knows all the things that have been said and recombines them. So like, even if that's all it is now, and that's unfit for production or even unfit to use to make an outline or a draft, down the line, these programs will get more sophisticated. I don't think we want to get caught back footed saying like, yeah, sure, this isn't a threat to us, even though, you know, that that joke isn't going to um, kill in front of a live crowd. It's not going <laughs> to work on a script. But eventually... You know, I think as these these things get more sophisticated, whether it's just more sophisticated plagiarism, we don't want to leave the door open for jobs to be outsourced to automation. And th and that's the same as a lot of industries. This yeah. isn't just, you know, a lot of these issues feel like they're very writer specific, but, but the big overall idea here is that it's workers who do the work that these profits are based on standing up to these giant corporations and their their feeling of entitlement to all of the profits and not just a share based on the work that they do this strike could go on for a long time the last strike in 2007 lasted a hundred days that's more mm -hmm. than three months netflix says it has three months of new programming ready to go the strike before that was in 1988. That one lasted 153 days, five months. That would take us into September. I understand the WGA has a strike fund of something like $20 million. So it seems like both sides are ready for a very long strike. Yeah, I mean, it. it these problems are really serious. But I will point out, the writers don't want to be on strike, right? We would like to be back to work. We'd be like, we'd like to be doing these jobs that, you know, I think are rightfully pointed out as dream jobs and, and making a paycheck. We just can't agree to a deal that doesn't ensure for the future of writing as a profession and writers as, as human beings who do this work. Right. And so I would love, and I think every person I've talked to on the picket line would love for this to be resolved as soon as possible. It's just that they haven't come to the table, the, the studios with a serious proposal that, that creates stability and security and helps ensure that for the future of writers and we're not going to negotiate against ourselves at this point like if they're not going to be serious we'll wait for them to be serious and and teamsters and and crew as are respecting the picket lines but it's not just uh who's shutting down production i mean we've seen people from amazon on the picket lines of this, from the Starbucks union, from freelance musicians, there are students from CUNY, the City University of New York, have been out. And I think this is really a fight that's speaking to people across a lot of different industries because it is something that a lot of people are facing. You know, the specifics may be different from workplace to workplace, from industry to industry, but the broader themes I think are really resonating with people. And let me just add, 
Hollywood royalty is supporting the writers um, here in LA where we record our show. Mm -hmm. uh, Jay Leno brought donuts to the picket line outside Disney and yeah. Burbank. I read that Edie Falco refused to cross the picket line to promote her new series. Cynthia Nixon joined the picket line in Manhattan and said, without writers, there would be no television and there would be no film. So yeah. you've got a lot of support. I mean, it's really wonderful to see that people with this level of public profile that are doing it, but people who are consistently marginalized by the industry historically, people of color, uh, members of the LGBTQIA community, women, um, writers from those backgrounds are going to be the the people that feel it first when they're when the studio squeezes people when the studios squeeze people and make it harder to have a consistent career when healthcare is harder to have and um and you know when you when it's harder to afford to have a family to wait the the months sometimes it takes between gigs and i think that's like it's really unfair and it's really something that we're trying to fight against as a guild but uh Okay. To go back a step, there's only so much you'll be able to do without writers in the interim. The fact that the late night shows are already off the air, you know, that shows that like every day the work writers do is central to that production. You know, maybe Netflix has three months, but like, does NBC, does Disney, like maybe they do, maybe they don't, but them saying, oh, we can wait you out is just saying, we're going to continue to try to make you take less than you deserve as long as we can hold out. For them to brag about how much they've stockpiled isn't impressive to me. It just shows like, yeah, they'll they'll continue to try to treat us badly as long as they can afford it. Josh Gondelman, you can read his piece about the strike. Writers like me have shut down Hollywood at thenation.com. Josh, thanks for talking with us today. Thank you so much, John. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 